Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Yeah, being white is incredible. Hello and welcome to our summer special on 3CR Community Radio. I am Nick and I usually host Freedom of Species. We're currently on a break from that show, as many uh, many shows currently are. We'll be back to regular programming for Freedom of Species on the 22nd of January, but for the next couple of weeks we're going to be doing uh, some summer specials around the topic of identity politics and particularly exploring and evaluating leftist critiques um, of identity politics. Uh, before us, you heard a replay of Sally, um, who hosts the show Out of the Pan, which will also be back in a few weeks as well. Hopefully, Sally is having a nice break if she happens to be listening in. And I really enjoyed that discussion. Um, and I get to link it to what we're covering today. Um, yeah, really interesting dis- discussion around um, yeah queer identities and sexuality and that kind of thing. And I feel like that is the kind of discussion that could often be kind of lumped in with identity politics. And I just think that is is too simplistic like identity is in there but so is sexual pleasure and so many other issues and again i think sometimes that um that label identity politics is is just too broad and too dismissive of of a range of important discussions um so yeah lots of great stuff happening on out of out of the pan for all things pansexual you can check that out at 3cr.org.au forward slash out of the pan um, so today I am joined uh, by a friend and regular, um, yeah, I'd say somewhat now regular, um, not guest, regular co-host of um, Progressive Podcast Australia, my other show. Um, thanks for joining me, Lottie. Hi, good to be here. And yeah, I, I guess a like that. I guess to start things off, and I probably you know one thing that probably should be a starting point is what is identity politics we'll we'll get into that and we're actually going to read out um some blog posts some articles i've written over the last few years on on this very issue it's something which we don't usually do on progressive podcast australia or freedom of species but i guess that's the sort of the the idea of summer specials at least some of us give a different format to go as well so we don't usually read whole articles we don't read little parts of articles but we are going to read whole articles they're fairly short though so there'll be plenty of time for updates critiques comments maybe some links to pop culture examples and and other stuff as well so um yeah i guess to start things off i should mention as well we opened up with uh life is incredible by briggs um featuring greg holden um and a song um about white privilege and yeah i guess to link it back to what we're covering today i feel like a lot of what I would view as important discussions around white privilege are often kind of dismissed as identity politics and and as if that is something that's, 
yeah, discussions around, um, yeah, race, privilege, etc., are often kind of dismissed as sort of almost like um, trivial or self-indulgent or something like that, at least from from some within the left. So we're gonna we're gonna get into some of those critiques. Um, but I guess I wanted to start off with um, myself, but also Lottie as well. I guess I've only ever really heard identity politics in a negative sense, as in like that is identity politics and it's negative. I've never heard anyone whose politics might be maybe more consistent with identity politics saying, you know, I've got identity politics. They might be talking around issues of representation or something like that. Is, is that your experience in terms of hearing the term? Have you ever heard it in like a positive sense or is it more being used as a more of a negative put down? Yeah, definitely always in a, in a negative way. Yeah, yeah. And which is interesting because it definitely started off not as a critique and it's something um, we've covered on on that podcast before so i don't again to too much but i think it's worth at least mentioning before we get into the um into the article in terms of the origins of the term so it was coined by um yeah the combahee river collective um and yeah i, I heard uh, black feminist scholar barbara smith talk about it and and she was talking about like the term was created by African-American women, highlighting their unique experiences of dealing with racism and sexism. Um, and they embraced it as a positive term at the time. It wasn't like a, some sort of a critique. It was like, no, we, we are advocating identity politics. It wasn't like a critique, like you're doing a bad thing, you're doing identity politics, which I think is kind of interesting because, again, uh, I've only ever experienced the term as kind of a bit of a, a dismissive kind of concept to, to dismiss a lot of discussions around um, representation but even um, anti-racism, anti-sexism, etc. So we'll get into the articles, which includes a definition of the term. Um, maybe we can go paragraph for paragraph, Lottie, if that works sure. for you. Yeah. Um, so I'll start off. These are all published on um, a blog. I sometimes put articles or, or me and, and my partner, Katie, and other, other friends and that kind of thing do guest posts as well, but progressivepostings.wordpress.com. And so the first post we're going to read, um, and yeah, Lottie, feel free either after you've said something or I've said something, feel free to jump in with any, again, comments, critiques, updates, um, connections to other things, whatever it might be. Um, so I was recently reading the book, The New Americans, A Guide to Immigration Since 1965 in my academic work. And I believe the chapter Ethnic and Racial Identity by Herbert J. Gans makes some important contributions to current debates about identity politics. Let's start off with a definition of the term. Gans defines identity politics as political activity devoted primarily to expressing and defending activists' ethnic or racial identity. This seems like a reasonable definition to me, and Gans also makes makes the point that a broad range of activities lumped on the label of identity politics even though it may actually not may not actually fit the above definition. Um, and I guess I'll read this bit. So, to what extent ethnic and racial groups become involved in politics to express their identity and to what extent they attempt to obtain the same decision-making influence, jobs and related resources as other politically active groups is an important question. And I guess to sort of jump off script a bit, again, that's what I'm getting at the start of like a really broad thing of any discussions about, you know, equality, distribution or anything kind of lumped into that broad label of identity politics which i kind of say now anyway go ahead yeah so so that quote's basically saying that um i guess like the way that herbert gans first defined it is just about um defending activist ethnic and racial identity but then what is kind of yeah now kind of being co-opted as or when we're using identity politics in a negative way is just 
ethnic and racial groups becoming involved in politics in the first place. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, okay, so I'll continue reading the article. Uh, so often a really broad range of discussions about reducing racial inequality are dismissed as identity politics, which is assumed to be a negative thing, including even by some on the left. I believe those doing so should question how broadly they apply this term and also their dismissal of identity politics generally. As far as I can see, such a broad dismissal only serves to marginalise important discussions challenging racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, etc. I posted some of the above on social media and end up having a respectful, productive discussion with a friend on some of the critiques of identity politics. Um, such conversations seem rare online. Can't we all just get along? I feel is the subtext there. I'll get on to online etiquette etiquette below but the point was raised in the discussion that identity politics is often misused to prevent more nuanced conversation they mentioned that um, so there's a quote from the person i was discussing this with on social media for example i was once extolling the virtues of community gardens and was told that they are racist because community gardens can play a role in gentrification which often benefits white people whereas the question could have been framed along the lines of how can we encourage community gardens without them being a vehicle for gentrification? Um, so maybe uh, I'll ask, like, I'll ask Unique for sure. some clarification here. Yeah, yeah. So, what um, was? I don't really understand this person's point in terms of where identity politics plays in were they saying this in response to something that you said about identity politics yeah so i kind of just posted the above in terms of like oh you know we got to be careful of these dismissals of identity politics because we're using the term really broadly to you know dismiss just discussions around sexism and racism and and those kind of issues and they said well no it is important to critique it because it's often misused in ways like this okay so they kind of gave an example of how they were uh, I guess dismissed by, um, or like, yeah, I, yeah, I suppose or the topic was dismissed. Yeah, yeah just because of... there are, it's it's possible to be, uh, I guess to have to be racist or to have like uh, problematic underlying racial dynamics with certain activities like community gardens if that's associated with gentrification, and so. It, the baby was kind of thrown out with the bathwater there, right? Like, yeah, no, like community we, gardens are bad because they might occur in places where gentrification is happening. That's right. It's like we can't talk about um, community gardens because of racism, basically. Yeah. yeah. What and was their argument? And they're kind yeah. of saying that, that that's identity politics. Exactly. But, that's okay. their critique of identity yeah. politics, I okay. guess. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. And maybe not even that's identity, but that's sort of one way identity politics is used badly. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'll continue reading on mm-hmm. um, from, from Nick's article. So uh, in response, I argued that I don't see bringing in issues of race to community gardens as shutting down the discussion. I've heard similar critiques from feminists regarding the slow food movement where we should all be making our own food and doing more food preparation at home in that within current gender norms, most of that extra labor will be done by women. I wouldn't view that as shutting down a discussion on the slow food movement or misusing identity politics, but rather adding an important element to the discussion that is often left out. 
Certainly, we can all work on framing our arguments better. But again, I see those who challenge identity politics as often working to reduce the amount of times issues such as race and gender are brought into discussions around issues like food systems and environmental issues. In my opinion, avoiding bringing in these intersections is a negative thing. It seems to me that the problem identified is with activists framing their arguments in less productive ways, and the take-home message is for all of us to think about reframing our critiques in more productive ways. This is an issue with online etiquette for everyone to consider, rather than a problem with identity politics. I feel that framing such problems as an issue of identity politics rather than online etiquette can imply that these issues only apply to those who have marginalised identities and therefore their activity, online or otherwise, is more likely to be labelled and often dismissed as identity politics. This is not necessarily the intention of those making this critique, but I'd argue it could be the effect it seems to imply that it is people of colour, women, etc., who are the ones that don't engage well online, despite countless examples of those with more privilege going well beyond not framing arguments in the most productive way and actually engaging in trolling, abuse and threats. These discussions remind me of some points by academic Alana Lenton on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Um, and on a side note, they did a great, uh, a great series called Summer School, S-K-O-O-L, uh, and just looked into various issues. Um, anyway, this is from that, from that series. Um, Lenton argued that some in the white left try to make the case that racism is used as a stick to beat uh, ordinary, uh, is the language they use, and she argued that's coded language for white people. Uh, she highlights this narrative as promoting the uh, idea that big bad minorities, inverted commas, are beating over beating people over the head for making a mistake. Okay, so that's again kind of coming back to, for example, dismissing community gardens or dismissing the slow food movement yep. because someone's saying, "Oh, well, what about this this group that you haven't thought about?" Um, yeah, and I guess it's like, here's me as a white person trying to talk about these good issues of community gardens, but because they, these other people um, with their identities uh, bring up racism, I can't even talk about community gardens anymore, I guess. Yeah. It's the sort of the, the critique, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, okay. Rather than just bringing that into the conversation that if we're talking about community gardens, we also need to talk about gentrification or if we're talking about slow food movement, we also need to talk about who's doing that extra work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that talking about gentrification and community gardens doesn't mean we stop talking about community gardens. Yeah. That's just yeah. another angle we can view community gardens through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay, uh, I'll continue on with the article. So on this point, I think... Uh, yeah, on this point, I think there are important conversations to be had about call-out versus call-in culture. However, it's also important for those of us who are white to be cautious about making arguments that feed into a reverse racism narrative. Such a narrative goes against all historical and structural evidence. Yes, and we could talk about that for hours, but I think, uh, yeah, the comedian Armour Aman, who's from here in Melbourne, um, sums this up really well. So we're going to play um, his video from his stand-up, Reverse Racism. This is um, from the special Fear of a Brown Planet. A lot of people don't like my comedy. A lot of white people don't like my comedy. A lot of white people say this to me. Hey, Armour. Hey. Get on stage. You make your jokes about white people. You say white people this. White people that, 
What if I did something like that? Huh? What if I got on stage and I said, yeah, black people are like this. Muslims are like that. You'd probably call me a racist, wouldn't you? And I say, yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, you should, you should never do that. That's, that's bad for your health. They're like, well, you do that, Amir. You do that. You get on stage. You make your jokes about white people. Don't you think that's a kind of racism? Don't you think that's... Dun-dun-dun. Reverse racism. I said, no. I don't think that's reverse racism. Not because, not because I think reverse racism doesn't exist, right? If you ask some black and brown people, they'll tell you flat out there is no such thing as reverse racism. I don't agree with that. I think there is such a thing as reverse racism. And uh, I, could be, I could be a reverse racist if I wanted to. Uh, all I would need would be a uh, time machine, right? And uh, what I'd do is I'd get in my time machine, I'd go back in time to before Europe colonized the world, right? And uh, I'd convince the leaders of Africa, Asia, the Middle East, Central and South America to uh, invade and colonize Europe, right? Just occupy them, steal their land and resources, set up some kind of like, I don't know, trans-Asian slave trade where we exported white people to work on giant rice plantations in China. Just ruin Europe over the course of a couple of centuries so all their descendants would want to migrate out and live in the places where black and brown people come from. But of course, in that time, I'd make sure I set up systems that privilege black and brown people at every conceivable social, political, and economic opportunity. White people would never have any hope of real self-determination. Just every couple of decades, make up some fake war as an excuse to go and bomb them back to the Stone Age and say it's for their own good because their culture is inferior and then just for kicks, subject white people to coloured people's standards of beauty and they end up hating the colour of their own skin, eyes and hair. If, after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of that, I got on stage at a comedy show and said, hey, what's the deal with white people? Why can't they dance? That would be reverse racism. So thanks to Amar Rahman for that. I have heard from, because that, that was, I think probably his only video that went really viral, or has gone really viral. And I have heard from academics who are like, I've spent like years writing long books and stuff like that. And that sort of two or three minutes just sort of sums up everything I was trying to say. So um, yeah, again, I, I think a lot of, without, I think like a lot of people on the left are like aware enough not to use the term reverse racism, but kind of it feels like that's sort of underlying a lot of the, the whinging about identity politics that like not necessarily that reverse racism exists in broader society, but on the left or something, white people are sort of marginalised or it's hard to make arguments and, and those kind of things as well. So again, I think it's something to be kept in mind. Um, so these discussions also remind me of critiques of the movie The Joker uh, from Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack podcast. And this, um, yeah, this article, it was written a while ago, um, which is now Bitchy Shit Show. And to give another date, now um, Pink from that show, Pink, Nick from that show uh, runs the show Pink Spots. So check that out. Uh, me and Lottie are both big fans, P-Y-N-K Spots. 
um, where the host argued that a message from the movie is that more marginalized groups such as women and people of color have to be so careful to be nice to white men, despite how dangerous, scary, etc. we may be acting. And if they don't, white male rage and violence is righteous and justifiable. Um, I don't know if you've seen Joker or listened to that show a while ago now, but did did you have any thoughts on the Joker? Or I'd, I never watched the Joker, but oh, okay. I did listen yep. to that episode of uh, Vegan Warrior Princess's Attack. Um yeah, I mean, I just assumed <laughs> that I probably would have agreed with them, and from their episode, I didn't, I didn't feel really inclined to go ahead and watch the Joker. Yeah, um, but it did kind of, I guess, um, I mean, what I kind of, um, you know, the inference I made from that podcast, and maybe something that relates more broadly to this, is that um, the way that white men, white straight cis men can be marginalised is for them to be poor, basically. Poor mm. and uh, and maybe have mental health problems. Mm. Um, and so movies like The Joker kind of, like, highlight those ways that, that you know, yes, straight white cis men can be can be marginalized kind of saying like oh but like don't don't forget about the fact that we can still be poor and we can still have mental health problems so like mm-hmm. we shouldn't be uh you know left out and i guess it's kind of the same uh talking about yeah talking about like leftism because class is such a big part of that mm-hmm. um i guess sometimes it's possible that like the default leftist is mm-hmm. a straight white cis man and then anyone else like a, a woman or a, a queer woman or a woman of color um, is those are their those are their identities are, like more predominantly than being a leftist and so it's the white man that's like more canonically a leftist and a, a black woman trying to talk about issues of class if they're at all bringing in intersecting issues of race and gender maybe the implication is that they're hijacking mm. the the actual important conversation about class with uh, with identity politics. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's probably easier to have that like, single focus on class if you're not experiencing those other issues as well. Um, and, yeah, I, I am definitely all those things. So depending on your views about identity, identity politics, you might not care what I think about identity <laughs> politics as well, which is fair enough. Um, but... Um, yeah, I, I was going to say on the, I guess, the connections to class, just one example I, I won't go into in a lot of detail because I know you're not familiar with the band or anything, but just briefly to mention the band Idols, who are from the UK, who I saw recently. But there's been um, a lot of discussions around them appropriating a working class identity. Um, so they've like got lyrics where like in the first person, they're like, I'm council housing and stuff like that, but that's not their background. They're from uh-huh. a middle, middle class background. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. And I think it's complicated because in art, people can kind of take on characters and those kind of things. And I, I do think there is something to those critiques. And I also really like the band. Uh, there's also kind of similar critiques for them, like having lyrics like black is beautiful as white guys as well. And it's like, where, where do you kind of draw that line? But what, what I found was kind of interesting is that a lot of those discussions around class, like appropriating working class identity, are like, they're very similar to debates around race and sexism, that kind of thing. And like, obviously, a working class identity is an identity as well. And yeah, just from these discussions, I was seeing something um, 
someone posted on Twitter, um, which is from an article, like, you know, all, all politics are often identity, like even, and so again, like I think I, I just saw a lot of parallels with sort of class and, and also race, like, oh, should you be saying that as a white person? Should you be saying that as a man about feminism or whatever? Very similar debates is like, should they be, you know, singing in this way? Um, like, are they appropriating working class identity? It's not so much like class is over here and, and racism, sexism are sort of totally different. Like they're quite similar and identity entities are created around those different forms of oppression and that kind of thing so again i just like chuck that in as a brief um aside um but yeah on, on the joker i i did really enjoy the movie and I, I think um i think nick at the time was saying she did enjoy well artistically thought the movie mm-hmm. was quite good which kind of made it worse because of the politics uh, but i definitely sort of had objections more around the ableism when i first saw it which was kind of not a big focus of their show i think they did come up briefly um, but I didn't really, I didn't really see the the racism and sexism so much because it was kind of subtle. Like I did like the sort of the class angle and how Batman was the hero, but then they're like, no, he's this, he's this rich guy, and like yeah, very, very kind of rich and privileged, and and not not such a good guy, like turning on its head that way. And the kind of class angle I liked as well. Um, but after hearing that, I was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. But I just hadn't. I hadn't seen it through that lens. And again, perhaps that does say something about identity as well. But um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting example along those lines anyway. Um, so I guess a little bit similar as well. I believe the creators of that movie said they're not making comedies anymore because things are too PC. So they're moving away from comedy and doing like more drama or whatever as well. And I think that kind of also feeds into those debates or critiques of identity politics as well, or in my opinion, some of the not so strong critiques of it. Um, and I guess to get back to the article, this is not to say that those criticizing identity politics are advocating for violence by any means, just to say that we should be careful about feeding into a broader cultural backlash against marginalized groups having a greater say, or at least there being broader discussion about the fact that they're, that some people are marginalized. Of course, these inequalities unfortunately continue to persist, but they are at least increasingly being challenged in more mainstream forums. And in the article there, I had AFL football players, Australian football players, taking a knee in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I thought, think it's just such a big one, whereas as much as that stuff can be dismissed as token, like Black Lives Matter was like an activist thing. Sport generally tend to stay away from it. Obviously, there were the, um, the gridiron, the American footballers, like taking a knee and that kind of thing. But like the actual official organizations, it was like, well, we're not a part of the Black Lives Matter movement. That's kind of really shifted where it's like, yeah, we're on board. And of course, there's a lot of progress and that kind of thing. But that, yeah, definitely changed shifting anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, surely this broader discussion is something that people should be celebrating rather than viewing as an annoyance. I encourage anyone critiquing identity politics in this really broad way that dismisses just about any attempt to raise issues such as racism as identity politics and views identity politics as a negative thing to reconsider this view. So that is the end of that article, but I do um, recommend and link to the video Dear Anti-ID Poll Leftist by Mexi on YouTube. So the channel is Mexi, M-E-X-I-E. Um, so definitely check that out for some, I guess, similar critiques of of, um, of those critiques from within the left. So we'll get on to the second article. So it's a three-part um, three series, I guess. So we'll get on to the second article um, after this community announcement and we're going to start, uh, discuss the third one next week so we'll just have a community announcement and we'll get back into it
Yes, summer is our time of year. Relax back and listen to highlights, shorts, specials, features and unique music. Find out more, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash summer specials. Welcome back to our summer special on 3CR Radical Radio. Today we're talking about um, identity politics and specifically um, looking into evaluating some of the discussions on the left going on about identity politics. Um, so we just read the first uh, in a three-part series that I wrote. We're going to get on to the second one uh, now, which is called Do You Identify or Are You Identified? Um, and yeah, these are from, um, from my blog or me and others, progressiveposting.wordpress.com. And I guess to start off the, the cartoon I've got in this article is, um, Steve Bannon from Breitbart Media, far right media, and he's typing on his keyboard, um, stupid Democrats identity politics is a loser. Uh, and then it's got white supremacists in the background holding signs, defend our heritage, white pride, and you will not replace us. And so... Yeah, I think that this isn't something I get into in any of these articles, but it's kind of another angle that often, and this is more right-wing critiques, which I don't really get into, but um, yeah, there are often identity politics within the dominant society or or within, yeah, I guess within the right specifically. Um, And reading an academic article on Donald Trump a while ago and, and Fox News, that kind of thing, and they were saying a main thing Fox News does is promote a white identity politics, which I thought was kind of interesting because, again, like identity politics is often uh, dismissed as or, or labelled as something more like for the left and and for the, for then for the right. But uh, again, I guess that the left has you know some kind of focus on identity, as we've touched on. I think a lot of other things are often going on in these discussions beyond beyond identity. Identity is just a, a part of it, um, but yeah. Of, of marginalized groups, whereas the right is often focused on identity of, of more privileged groups. But um, yeah, like yeah. if you think of men's rights activists and yeah, incels, they're yeah. totally proud of, of their um, identity as a man and, yeah. and their politics are all about um, men having certain rights and, um, and, being superior so yeah Yeah, it's very very central to it yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. absolutely yeah yeah do you want to kick things off for the article sure um so herbert j gans makes some important points questioning who gets to choose an identity and who has identities imposed on them these points from the book the new americans a guide to immigration since 1965 are relevant to the backlash against identity politics that is coming from the right and even some on the left Gans explains, whatever limits the identification process puts on ethnic and racial identity, minorities are relatively free to choose the frequency and intensity of identity expression, as well as the feelings, activities and objects associated with it. Native-born whites do not care much about whether immigrants feel racial or ethnic pride or through what objects they express that pride. Uh, And this put I've put... It put in italics to emphasize, they quickly become upset, however, if identity is expressed in ways that threaten the public order or white superiority in that order. The final point about being upset when identity challenges white superiority is where I think a lot of criticisms of identity politics are coming from. 
Many discussions lumped under the very broadly applied term identity politics, such as exploring who is given a voice in activist movements and who isn't, labelling whiteness in discussions about race, etc., challenge white supremacy, or at least create an environment where such a challenge is more likely. I think there are some valid critiques of certain kinds of identity politics. And again, we'll explore them next show in the third post in this series. And and hopefully, and I'm welcome to any um, critiques, but hopefully those critiques are a little bit more specific and kind of critique um, a certain form rather than dismissing discussions around racism, sex, etc. Back to the article. Um, However, part of what I see is less legitimate criticisms come from white men, uh, for example, and more privileged groups generally being annoyed at being labelled as such reflected in comments i've seen online such as i'm so sick of being called a white man have you have you seen those kind of discussions or is that just me have you heard people say that uh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. um and yeah i've definitely seen that and just kind of yeah that that idea i've seen it also from like media creators too like not just kind of people on social media generally as well those with quite a big platform saying the same thing um generally in a white supremacist society those who are white are not labeled by others and get to choose whatever labels, identities they like. This definitely rings true in my own experience as someone who falls into many categories of privilege and any labels that I associate with, I've chosen myself rather than being posed from the outside. Um, and yeah, just on a side note, like I can think of lots of labels that have been applied to me, like maybe a vegan and academic or yeah, various things, but like they're all, they're all labels I got to choose myself and not labels that have been posed from others, from the broader society. In contrast, more marginalized groups such as people of color often have an identity imposed on them by a white majority in Western countries such as Australia and the United States. Um, And do you want to jump into that one, Lottie? Yep. Gans gives an example of this in a U.S. context. However, Asian Americans, like Hispanics, take their identity from external identifications made by native-born Americans who are unwilling to make distinctions among the immigrants' various countries of origins. If those speaking for the country's native-born majority decide how to identify the newcomers, it is easier to call them Asian American than Chinese, Korean or Japanese. Yeah, and definitely on a side note, definitely no, um, you know, I don't have any criticism of Asian Americans identifying themselves as such, but I just thought it was interesting that, um, yeah, like that label kind of came from the white society because, again, they may have defined themselves as Chinese Americans or Korean Americans, but it was like the the, the white non-Asian society who sort of lumped, lumped them into that broad label of Asian American. And then obviously once that label is created, then people may self-identify with it, but that wasn't really the origins of it according to that book. Obviously those, back to the article, obviously those who are white may face other oppressions based on their gender, sexual preference, etc., and a similar labelling process is likely to apply. But more generally, those with more privilege are more able to choose their own labels and identities, and those with less are more likely to have labels or identities imposed upon them. Despite the backlash against the naming of whiteness, labelling whiteness is very important. Aileen Morton Robinson does a great job explaining why this is the case in her book, Whiteness, Epistemology and Indigenous Representation, from the book Whitening Race, Essays in Social and Cultural Criticism. Morton Robinson explains that in the West, whiteness defines itself as the norm and race is deemed to belong to the other. 
Therefore, whiteness is an invisible regime of power that underpins colonialism. In an academic context, the failure to label whiteness has meant that knowledge created by white scholars has generally been perceived as objective, whereas the knowledges developed by Indigenous scholars are often dismissed as implausible and subjective. And I think to bring it back to Lottie's earlier point kind of about the left and whether that's like, I guess, like YouTubers or just activists generally, I think there's that kind of default. It's like, yeah, it's the the failure to label whiteness. It's like that's just a typical or archetype leftist and talking about their thing and then people with other identities or marginalised identities are kind of bringing in those other issues. And again, very similar to academic th- a- academic research where, yeah, it's often not labelled as like a white scholar, but it would be labelled as an Indigenous scholar and that that whiteness kind of becomes the, the norm, um, the objective position, the view from nowhere, that kind of thing. Again, this is kind of what I say in the article. Um, back to the article. So whiteness as the de- default or the norm through not being labelled also plays out in sport. Morton Robinson explains that white athletes such as Dawn Fraser, Pat Rafter and Ian Thorpe are not associated with a particular racial group. And she asks us to consider why Kathy Freeman is positioned as running for reconciliation, yet Ian Thorpe swims for the nation. Freeman, as an Aboriginal Australian, is racialized and therefore is portrayed as running for a specific group. Um, where am I going? Um, within, sorry, three, four. Um, yeah, within Australia. Here we go. Uh, sorry, I've got a bunch of pages more than <laughs> usual. Uh, whereas Thorpe, as a white Australian, is not racialized and is seen as representing the country as a whole. Um, and I've got a famous image, um, which is perhaps uh, maybe I'm, I'm uh, Lottie's younger than me. So do you know the, the Australian Aboriginal flag, Kathy Freeman? I'm yes. Not, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Pretty yeah. iconic. So I don't remember yeah. the moment in the yeah. 2000 Olympics, but like it's, you know, been iconic enough over the years that I, uh, I, I know the image. Yeah. 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 Do you want to read the final yeah. conclusion? Rather than being upset at re- receiving labels, Uh, such as white man, those of us with more privilege should embrace the naming of whiteness as an important part of the struggle to challenge white supremacy. Great. So we're going to play a song and then in the final section, we'll do a bit more of an improvised discussion, just building on some of the themes that we've covered in those articles. Um, And we're going to go to the song. um, We're playing um, Konnichiwa by Shoreline featuring Koji. Um, and I do have put a note regarding swearing in this song. The reason why I'm playing it is, you know, um, anti-Asian racism is an issue that's been going on, you know, for for a long time, um, and, you know, as, you know, increased during the pandemic as well. Um, and I think everyone's got a responsibility to challenge that, but I guess bring it back to identity politics. I think the sort of the, the first hand experience expressed in the song does provide something of value as well. Start another conversation about the place where I was but where born. are you really from? I don't really understand why you want to be in control. Tell another joke that I've heard about a thousand times before. Your fingers stretch your eyes to mock mine. You think like a Dinosaur. I don't know how your head's so old, but you're still young, not in a good way, it's all Oh, 
Asking out of interest, low expectations You compliment my language Maybe at some point you should reflect on your choice To fetishize my skin You speak so well You're just a clone Of an older species You will go on And praise tradition I don't know how Your head's so old But you're still young Not in a good way It's all Welcome back to our summer special on identity politics uh, on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, We've been discussing a couple of articles I've written over the last few years on identity politics and specifically, um, yeah, sort of engaging with some critiques uh, coming from the left. And so, yeah, in the final section, we're going to, yeah, discuss the themes raised a bit more and get into some other examples and we'll see where we go. But yeah, go ahead, Lottie. Yeah, so I just wanted to go back to to, uh, a part of uh, that second article that we were talking about of yours uh, Nick so the one called do you identify it or are you identified um I'll just I'll just uh repeat the quote so mm. native born whites do not care much whether immigrants feel racial or ethnic pride or through what objects they express that pride they quickly become upset however if identity is expressed in ways that threaten the public order or white superiority in that order so I guess we can maybe th- um think of an example as like Invasion Day or Australia Day, for example. So um, maybe, uh, and I guess my point is that I think maybe this, um, uh, the way we think about this might apply a bit more to people who are a bit more conservative and less, you know, less involved in activism or or the left. So they might, um, you know, if they're asked, say, oh, yeah, I don't mind if, Indigenous people are, are proud of of their heritage, but then if it's raised as oh well, we should abolish Australia Day mm. because that's racist, and because we should use that day instead to commemorate um, the you know the invasion of Australia of a, uh, so-called Australia and the you know the genocide that followed, then that's when conservatives would would get angry because that you know that 
Indigenous pride is is um, kind of interrupting their day to day life. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that applies. Uh, thinking about it in that way applies a bit more probably to conservatives than to the left, but maybe um, a kind of analogous phenomenon uh, on the left and amongst um, you know activists is that people are, you know white or just overall more privileged people on the left might not care whether people of different identities, so racialized or um, uh, LGBTQ people, um, also want to promote their, you know, uh, be activists for their particular identity, but then they might become upset if that kind of interrupts the the more privileged person's kind of like normal state of being an activist so mm. so once they're you know going back to the first article if um um if someone's trying to talk about community gardens and they're like oh yeah i i support anti-racism of course but then but then people keep bringing up gentrification when all they want to do is talk about community gardens then they're kind of you know it's kind of like at that point they're like oh hang on i don't want to be reminded that I'm white when I'm just trying to be a good person here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably a way that it just relates a bit more to to, to us as um, as activists and people who identify more with the left. Yeah, and I think also getting back to that, yeah, critique around like Invasion Day. I was also thinking of that that sort of other critique, which we haven't got into depth, but just kind of mentioned briefly of like white identity. And like, I can't think of anything more like white Australian identity than, you know, celebrating so-called Australia Day, wrapping yourself in the Australian flag, like the whole barbecue beers, that, like, that, that is such like a white identity. But again, it's a lot of the people who might have that identity would also be very dismissive of so-called identity politics in terms of from Indigenous activists or whoever it may be as well. But um, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of interesting of like, yeah, it is such like, it's not just like an Australian issue that inclusive of everyone. It is such a, a white male identity that like associated with that day and the flag and that kind of thing too yeah 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 Yeah. um any other points you want to bring in or if not i've got something to go to yeah i guess i guess just it reminds me a few years ago um i think there was a um a, a billboard with um two two young girls wearing hijabs um, and it was it was like a, an Australia Day. It was a billboard promoting Australia Day, and I think the the idea idea there is is like trying to bring in um, trying to bring in other identities to try and say like, oh no, it's not just a it's not just a white thing to to like Australia Day um, and make it more palatable for um, for like non white people, um, which is so unfair because you know those they were girls so like they didn't know what they were like young like they were quite young so like they they didn't know what they were agreeing to I assume and and I guess it it is tricky with with um recent immigrants to Australia because they potentially are really happy to be here uh and maybe if they if they if they feel that that they're being welcomed here, um, which hopefully they are, then um, they probably 
I feel like it's you know it's okay for them to have some kind of um, pride as the, as they start to feel Australian, um, but um, you know they're also not if if they're just recent arrivals to Australia they they possibly haven't like been taught the the truth about about our you know disgusting history because it even you know even people born here don't it takes a long time to to really to learn the truth so uh, I think kind of like bringing those other identities in as a way to kind of say like oh no this is something for all Australians to be proud of it's not just a white thing is um um I guess a way to try and make it to try and distance itself from from whiteness, but it is still a, a a largely white supremacist kind of kind of stance to take. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've you know been to the Invasion Day rallies um, here in Melbourne, the Cooler Nations, many times, and always in doing that, just to get there, I often walk through the you know so called Australia Day protest, which still goes on here. And yeah, and, and it isn't purely white people, and perhaps mm. there are recent recent immigrants, but you know I've got no idea of that. But people of different ethnic backgrounds, but. And, and so I guess that's like the whole like reform versus abolish. Like I like Australia Day could feasibly be reformed to be more inclusive of you know new immigrants and people of different ethnic identities. And while that would be slightly better, it's still based on that fundamental issue, which is against Indigenous Australians. Which is of course why um, groups like the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance call to abolish Australia Day rather than just you know reforming it rather than just changing the date, etc. As well, because of those more fundamental issues as well as as much as there are sort of other additional issues as well yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. um i wanted to before we take off bring up our me and lottie's uh favorite show is that fair enough to say it's your favorite show or a favorite show at the very least Um, i I think um i think should leave which is a, a sketch comedy show on netflix um and yeah just in in some of these articles i brought in some connections from my academic work um to kind of analyze these discussions and so i want to do that a little bit with this show um i think should leave um did i say that sketch comedy show on netflix i may have already it feels like i'm plugging it as a as a promotion which i'm not but um yeah, and so just to um, some of the sociological, which is my area, li- literature around racism, anti-racism, etc. Um, the French-Canadian sociologist Michelle Lamont um, talks about increasing diversity uh, in societies um, and how that these conditions make actions to bridge cultural differences in everyday events. Um, and the term for that is practical or ordinary cosmopolitanism. Um, and similar, a British sociologist, Paul Gilfroy, um, speaks about a new convivial culture um, where interaction across differently racialized groups becomes commonplace and an often fun celebration of difference. And that's from the book, This is Sociology by Dan Woodman and Stephen Threadgold. And I was just kind of thinking that like that that sort of thing and obviously that is a very positive take on anti-racism and there's obviously other stuff going on and the rise of the far right and all this kind of stuff as well so it is very much a positive take and it probably doesn't or definitely doesn't explain everything but i kind of feel that that idea of like an ordinary cosmopolitan cosmo, ordinary cosmopolitanism or a new convivial culture it kind of reminds me of i think should leave um where it's a very diverse cast and there's people of different um 
yeah, ethnic groups, genders, sexualities, um, people who use wheelchairs, just different different types of people, different identities, etc. But it's not really front and center of the show. It's just kind of an everyday thing, but it, it kind of can sort of change things in subtle ways. Do you, yeah. Any thoughts on that? I know I've talked about it before, they're, but yeah. They're never the butt of the joke. That's either. true. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Like I, th- I think of the example we're just talking about, like the person in the wheelchair as like the, the other person in the scene, Tim Robbins, right? So like he is the butt of the joke. Like they'd never mm-hmm. like bring in someone like that. Um, yeah. Whereas a lot of comedies might sort of have their, and there's obviously all kinds of different comedies comedy going on but a lot of the perhaps more popular comedy would often have as you mentioned on the left like the typical white male straight etc and then yeah when you have a woman the whole thing is about her being a woman or you have a queer person the whole thing is about their queer identity etc and the jokes are at their expense whereas here you have that diversity but never yeah never to um never to sort of punch down against them, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, in a way, like, I feel like that discussion, like it feels in 2023 now, it feels so like, yeah, of course, right? Like, of course you shouldn't get too much credit for like not punching down against uh, marginalized groups. But unfortunately, even in recent times, it still does happen. But also it is interesting watching, um, like looking back on things that weren't that long ago and how like it kind of, it, like that kind of show does show progress, I guess. I, I, did you see the? There's a documentary on Sesame Street. Did you watch that at all? I think no. no. It was quite interesting because it, it was from the um, 60s. Um, maybe I'm trying to think when Sesame Street started. It might have been the 60s or 70s, somewhere around there. So it was like a long time ago, but not that long ago. And, like, they were talking about having a mixed cast as, like, a really positive thing. Mm. And just, like, hearing that now just feels so, like, backwards. Like, it's yep. funny, like, progressive stuff can kind of sound, like, progressive at time can feel very backwards now. But, like, that that's in a US context as well, as I think should leave. And it is only, like, whatever, 60 years ago or so. Um, and, like, that was kind of a revolutionary thing at the time as well. So, again, it does kind of sound backwards, say it, but, uh, like, at, at that time it was kind of like a... Uh, an achievement I guess to have a mixed yeah. cast as, as strange as that sounds mm-hmm. um, probably the main thing I got out of that documentary though I'll ask Lottie now can you tell me the first letter of yellow why because I want to know <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the main thing I got out of that, that document I did get to some of the anti-racism stuff too but that was the main the main, the main thing I got out of that that uh, that show so um, we are just about out of time um, any final points you want to make before we take off or no, no not no. really just thanks for the discussion yeah and we'll we'll continue this discussion next week as well at the same time one till two here on 3cr community radio um you can listen via 3cr.org.au um or 855am on your radio if you're in melbourne and I guess this week I've been like, oh, here's all these privileged people making fun of identity politics. Aren't they bad? And the third one's like, me as a privileged person, I'm making fun of identity politics. But hopefully, again, um, you can be the judge of that. Hopefully the critiques are a bit more specific. We're going to look at something called trickle-down identity politics. Trickle down identity politics. That's the term Naomi Klein used, but I think it's kind of typified. Hillary Clinton always comes to mind of like diversity at the top, but not much focus on those like in in the lower the lower um, classes and that kind of thing within those group. But anyway, we'll get into that next week, and we'll read the final 
the final blog in the, in that series. Um, and yeah, you can check out those blogs at progressivepostings.wordpress.com. Um, you can also, yeah, if you want to hear me more from me and, and Lottie occasionally as well, we're at progressivepodcastaustralia.com. You can also check out... Um, freedom of species shows you missed again we'll be back on the 22nd but you can check out on episodes you missed at 3cr.org.au forward slash freedom of species on your favorite podcast app we're going to finish up with a song um home with you by fka twigs and yeah this is one where i thought it was about one thing and it's not but we're going to play it anyway but that one of the lyrics is i've never seen a hero like me in a in a sci-fi so i wonder if he needs are even meant for me and i thought that was an issue around like race like as a black woman like she's talking about i'm not represented because sci-fi tends to be white male dominated etc um but it's actually talking more specifically about um film franchises that have female characters she can't relate to she said um yeah, she said, um, yeah, basically it's like a specific type of woman, uh, but she says she's yet to see a, a female character who is beautifully strong and perfect and flawed and is a full range. Um, so anyway, it's more about a specific type of woman, but anyway, it's about representation, so um, <laughs> close enough. Uh, thanks for joining me, Lottie. Yeah, thanks for having me. And stay tuned for Rotations to hear some new music. I'm so wide. For it, seen it, tried it, I die fully on the times when I get my lessons. Learned apples, cherries, pain, breathe in, breathe out pain. No, 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 the king still maintain my grace. How come the more you have, the more the people want from you? More you burn away, the more the people earn from you. More you pull away, the more that they depend on you. I've never seen a hero like me in a sci-fi. So I wonder if you need to remember me. I wonder if you think that I can ever raise you up. I wonder if you think that I can ever help you fly. Never seen a hero like me in a sci-fi.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.